comes up Driving when the sun goes down The hum of 18 wheels Lord, that's a lonely sound I spend all day Chasing that old white line I've been on the road so long I've lost track of time Hey friends, this is Gary Rayburn of Lonesome Road Ministries and we've got an awesome program for you. I know you're going to enjoy it today and you're going to want to get more copies of this. So give us a call, 618-383-2107 or log on to lonesomeroad.org or you can email me at gary.lonesomeroad at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Now sit back. Listen and enjoy today's program from Lonesome Road Ministries, Church on the Road. Give us a call. We look forward to hearing from you. I keep those wheels turning from town to town. There's so much I got to see. I got to look around. I got diesel smoke rolling. From two chrome stacks, my address is 408-414, a big blue Mac. Now it don't matter where I'm going, I just gotta drive. I have the white line fever to the day that I die. I said 18 wheels rolling on the road, it is my life. This is Chaplain Gary Rayburn of Lonesome Road Ministries, and today's program is sponsored by Crane Transport of Oakwood, Georgia. Crane is a family-owned, faith-based trucking company. They have over 300 trucks and over 800 trailers, and they're looking for some great drivers that want to drive for a good company, making good money. Crane Transport has a great reputation for service. So drivers, if you're looking for a company that will consider you family, I recommend Crane Transport. Check out their website, cranetransport.inc.com or give them a call, 770-532-0057. You can call and talk with Will Rogers, the safety and compliance trainer. He wants to hear from you and answer any questions you might have. And he will also pray for you He wants to be a help to you drivers out there on the road. So friends, check out cranetransport.inc.com and then call Will Rogers, 770-532-0057, extension 3281. You'll be glad you did. And what a program we have for you today. As you know, Lonesome Road Ministry has a brand new home here at Keene's, Illinois, at 107 Sycamore Street. 
and this will be the home of our new conference, three-fold cord conference right here. And this church building that we're sitting in right now, at one time was a Keens Community Church, and lots and lots and lots of people came through this church, and many of them got saved, and then this church closed, and then it was empty for five years. God opened the door for us to purchase this building for our ministry. And one of the pastors that was here at this church at one time was a man by the name of Steve Hutchcraft. And Steve Hutchcraft not only pastored this church, he also got saved in this church. So it has a rich, rich history of salvations right here in this church building that we're sitting in. And as a matter of fact, the very first day that I took possession of this building, I was sitting in here and I got a phone call from a driver out there on that old lonesome road and he was broken and he was asking me, what must I do to be saved? And I got to lead this young man to the Lord over the telephone, a driver out there on the road. And since that time, we've had many, many drivers call us and we've got to lead to the Lord. We've had many drivers call us and tell us they've accepted Jesus as their savior out there on the road, listening to our CDs, our radio programs, and our podcasts. So God is continuing using this building right here to reach people all across this area and all across the country. But uh, today's message is a powerful message by Steve Hutchcraft, and it's called Hell is No Joke. So we're going to get right into that message here in just a few minutes, but first I want to put on a song for you. And this is a song that I wrote. It's called Worst Fighting For, and the Lord gave me this song for this ministry because Jesus is worth fighting for. This scarred up heart inside a raging storm. The word is angered, cause Satan has declared a war. I'll fight this battle, Lord, because you're worth fighting for. I pledge my undying love to you. You died for me, though I live. set me free So I'm honored to struggle Lord Cause even in my toughest battles You're worth fighting for Yeah There's sin inside my heart the battle's deep within It's trying to control me Spirit and flesh at war 
I'll take up the sword of truth because you're worth fighting for. I pledge my undying love to you. You died for me, though I led such a shameful life. Grace has set me free, so I'm honored to struggle. It was by your stripes that I was healed For this mighty army you will build I'll fight this battle, Lord, cause you're worth fighting for my undying love to you You died for me Though I led such a shameful life Grace has set me free So I'm honored to struggle, Lord Cause even in my toughest battles You're worth fighting set me free So I'm honored to struggle alone Cause even in my toughest battles You're worth fighting I know you're going to enjoy today's message. It's by Pastor Steve Hutchcraft, and it's titled, Hell is No Joke. Human relationships come and go. People come and go. But the Word of God, and what the Word of God has to say, will be here when the world is on fire. To me, that is a comfort. I'm placing my trust in a constant. Luke 16, verse 19, let us read. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. And seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. 
and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. And Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thou good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and thou art tormented. Besides all of these things between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Let us pray. Lord, we come to you very, very much aware of my weakness and my inability to speak about such a serious subject. I do pray, Lord, for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I'm asking you to please give me your passion. Help me to preach, Lord, with a fervency and a sincerity of heart. I pray, God, that you would move upon this congregation and that you would speak to everyone as an individual. May the word not fall to the ground, but may the word of God fall upon good ground and take root this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. What I would like to use for a subject, hell, more than a swear word. Today when we think of hell, many people immediately associate it with a swear word. People think of nothing as to say, go to hell. It being used as a swear word has become so common in our society today that it is even used among friends. When they say, to express their dissatisfaction with something, they'll tell their friends to go to hell. Watering down the real fact of what hell is about. Hell is something that rides high on the jokester's hit parade. I mean, it is something in which that people make jokes about hell and going to hell. Modern theologians have tried to water it down and endeavored to explain away hell to where to say that there is no hell. And as a preacher, hell is a difficult subject to tackle. There's no joy in the topic. The only joy or pleasure that comes from preaching about hell is the fact of being able to warn someone or to be able to divert them away from this horrible place. In a recent poll, ABC ran a poll and they showed that 70% of Americans believed in heaven, but only 56% believed that there was a literal hell. But I'm here to say, friend, that it does not matter what public opinion says. For Luke 16, the word of God tells us that there is a literal burning hell. <laughs> to say that I don't believe in something just, I mean, uh, to, to say I don't believe in something is like saying, well, to make it go away, that's crazy. It'd be like you saying, I'm going to shoot you, preacher. And me saying, don't bother me, I don't believe in bullets. 
I'm telling you, friend, it don't work. The fact is the fact. And what you think about it, your opinion does not change fact. In Noah's day, most of the world did not believe there was going to be a flood. But there was. Scientific proof proves that there was a flood. The word of God bears it out long, long ago. And most of the world was lost, unprepared. My first point is that hell is a real place. It's not some myth that some preacher dreamed up to try to scare some people into religion. It's not some kind of a thing that we this morning as we speak about it, I mean, it's not something that is a place where people can go and pray you out of hell later on, purgatory, or, but it's a real place. It's not the grave as some people, cults teach. But hell is a real place. By the same way that Orchardville, Illinois is a real place. Denver, Colorado is a real place. Never been to Denver, Colorado. But I believe there is a Denver, Colorado. Why? Because historians tell me so. History books tell me so. By the same token, I believe there is a hell, but I believe it upon a much greater authority than a history book. I believe it upon the word of God, that God said there is a hell, a hell to shun, a place that we need to bypass. Hell exists because the Bible says it exists. It is a Pacific location that I believe the word of God bears out is in the center of the earth. Hell is beneath. In the lower parts of the earth, the scripture says. The Bible tells us that hell is a bottomless pit. The center of the earth, there is no gravitational pull. It is free fall. No place to set your foot on. Anything solid. Constant falling. Isaiah 5.14 states, Therefore hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure because of the people who are plunging into hell on a day-to-day -day basis. Personally, I believe volcanic eruptions are nothing more than God making more room for people who want to go to hell. Nothing more than molding lava spewing out of the earth's core, making more room for people to go to that horrible place. Jesus Christ spoke about this place. He spoke more about this place than any writer in the scripture. He was a hellfire and brimstone preacher. Here in our text, Jesus is warning us that we want to bypass and escape this terrible place called hell. 
This passage I read to you this morning, it is not a fairy tale. It is not an illustrated parable that some people try to, and I've even heard preachers, try to explain away this scripture by calling it a parable. But any time Jesus spoke in the form of a parable, he would say a certain man or a certain place. In this passage, Jesus never said such. He used a man's name. Lazarus, the beggar. He not only gave a man a name and called him a name, but he spoke of a specific era of time that this man lived in. He lived in Moses' time. He would not hear Moses and the prophets. But regardless of whether this, and I don't want to fall apart as to whether you want to argue whether this is a parable or it's not a parable. It really makes no difference whether it's a parable or it isn't a parable. Jesus did not take truth and try to spread lies by it. But what he is saying in this particular account is the way that it is. Hell's no joke. We as Christians, we, we need a fresh vision ever of this terrible place. And I believe that if we have one, that it will prompt us on to be what we need to be and do what we need to do to reach people for Jesus Christ. Because hell is more than just a swear word. It is more than just a figure of speech. It is more than just a figment of someone's imagination. But it is a real place. It is not a temporary state that an individual goes to. But it is a permanent home. The Bible calls it a place of outer darkness. I'll never forget going on vacation and the very first time that I went down in a cave and the guide says, I'm going to turn off the lights here, and uh, when I turn off the lights, you'll not be able to see anything. You'll not be able to see your hand in front of your face. And I remember laughing to myself and saying, I'll bet you I will. And I remember when the man turned the light out. Just focusing. And I couldn't see my hand in front of my face. Total darkness. Darkness so dark that it could be felt because it was total darkness. The Bible says that hell is that kind of place. Total darkness. In Gatlinburg, Tennessee, they assembled a replica of hell. And they called it a journey through hell. It was so horrible and so graphic in nature that people complained and petitioned the city to do something about it. City council got together and voted to close down hell. (laughs) 
But I'm here to tell you that the real hell is very much in business, up and running. Where it is a real place. Denying hell's existence, if you sit here and say, preacher, do you really believe that? It does nothing more. It may soothe your conscience for the moment, but it does nothing more than to just simply seal your doom to cause you to end up in that place. This is a place that needs to be thought about. This is something that needs to be pondered in the minds of people. Secondly, I believe hell is not only a real place, but I believe hell is a place of torments. Verse 28 says that he recognized the torment. Let's start in verse 27. And he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou would send, speaking to Abraham, that thou would send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren that they... He may testify unto them, lest they come to this terrible place of torment. He referred to hell as being a place of torment. Bible tells us that hell, in verse 24, speaks about a place. He said, I am tormented in this flame. Some people try to take the fire out of hell, but the truth of the matter is, the Bible said that it is a place where warm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Fire produces the greatest possible pain known to mankind. It is the worst pain that a human can experience. Some wonder how in the world how, uh, could you have fire and darkness. You just got through saying fire and darkness. The Bible said it is fire and brimstone. The book of Revelations and brimstone puts off the blackest smoke. It is fire and brimstone. It is fire and darkness. It is a place of torment. Unquenchable fire. During World War II, the British government sought for a way To do something. I mean, the war was. Let me let me read this account to you. The British government sought for a way to cause the German people to lose their morale. Sir Arthur Harris, head of the British Bomber Command, met with the hierarchy of the armed forces of Great Britain. They wrestled for some solution to try to bring the war straight to the heart of the German people. They came up with this conclusion. We will select one city and destroy it to such a degree that it will cause Germany to lose heart. The city they chose was Hamburg, Germany. This city was a beautiful metropolis of the nation of Germany, or Gomer as, as referred to in the, in the, uh, throughout the scripture. Hamburg was a city of two million people in population. They manufactured everything from submarines to bobby pins. Uh, it was a metropolis uh, whereby that they was a, a financial center. Uh, Hamburg was one of the greatest culture centers in the entire world. Uh, it had massive museums uh, uh, that hung uh, uh, with hundreds and hundreds uh, of fine arts and paintings of the ages. Uh, masterpieces hung in profusion. Uh, Hamburg was the center of education uh, and military 
paralysis, uh, social activity, uh, when this was the place to go. But it was on July the 23rd of 1943 uh, that Operation Gomorrah went into effect. The people of Hamburg, Germany never knew uh, what was in store for them. 80,000 people lost their lives within the next week. And it would have been more had there not been a mass exit out of the city. Boys and girls, men and women burnt like cinders. This city was the most fortified city in Germany. It surpassed Berlin as far as anti-aircraft was concerned. Germany believed that there was absolutely nothing for them to worry about. It was in Hamburg that they housed the archives of the nation. But on the momentous night of July the 23rd, they could feel the ground rumble as 2,800 bombers filled the heavens with bombs. That night when the doors swung open and the buttons were pushed, tons and tons of bombs dropped upon this city. And it was called the night that Hamburg died. They claimed that night that the air was perfectly still and there was no wind that was blowing whatsoever. But when these bombs began to explode, it created a hurricane force of their own. Eight hours later, another 1,200 bombers appeared over the city and they began to bomb. That night, the heavens literally shook and there were military force as this great military force appeared over the city of Hamburg. They dropped their massive loads into that city and buildings began to catch on fire. They claimed that the flames reached over three mile high into the sky. Combination of exploding bombs and fire created a sucking force that caused these winds to blow at such hurricane forces of 150 mile per hour. Every single person that went in underground shelters thinking that they would be safe was cooked like roasted ducklings. The temperature reached 1,200 degree Fahrenheit. They said that the heat was so intense that people would literally burst into flames, and they would at 1,200 degrees. The rivers were filled with thousands of bodies as the water literally became steam. There were traces of blood where the flames had never went as people were literally sucked towards the flame and they grasped the sidewalks and whatever they could to hold on to as they left a trail of blood as it sucked them into this hideous flame. Flesh fell off men's bones. And men died miles away from where the center of the bombs had landed, simply from the heat. Over 4,000 bombers had came across that city. And when it was all over, and the buildings began to cool, the rescue teams went in and they found one man walking on the side streets, babbling to himself. And this was what he was saying. It was hell. It was hell. It was hell. It was hell. This 
is just a small picture of what hell will really be like. It helps us better understand and grasp the torment of hell. But the Bible said that it will be unquenchable fire. A place where there will be weeping, wailing, not just weeping. There's a few times in my life I've heard people not just weep, but wail. It's horrible. Makes you want to run. Weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Gnawing upon themselves because of the pain. Hell's a real place. A place filled with torment. A place with literal fire. And it is a place where you, one of the torments will be that your memory will be intact. The rich man, he remembered what life was like. He remembered where he messed up. He wanted to go back and change some things, but it was too late. In verse 25, God reminds us of the rich man's life while he was here on earth. It was like a panoramic video clip replaying his life to him. Someone said, Will you really have a memory? Yes, you'll have a better memory in the sense that you have this panoramic vision, this conscience, this voice that is ever saying, remember. Whispering in your ear, remember. Memory will be there. In hell, forgetting is not an option. It's impossible. You will remember every opportunity. If you sit in this congregation and you end up dying lost and going to hell, you will remember every opportunity you ever had as the Spirit of God spoke to your heart and you rejected God's plan of salvation. You will remember that time. You will remember this sermon. It is preached this morning. You remember every prayer that's ever been prayed for your soul. Every gray-haired grandmother that lifted her grandson's name in prayer will be replayed. You will remember. Another torment of hell, the Bible says that hell is a place of separation. Verse 23 bears that out. Jesus said there's a great gulf fixed between his people and those in hell. Separated. Separated from what? Most of all, separated from God. Separated from God's people. Separated from everything that is beautiful and holy. 
And you may be living here and thinking, well, that wouldn't be all so bad. But I'm here to tell you, you don't want to live in a world where God, there is no godly influence. You turn man loose with no godly influence, and I'm telling you, it, 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 it'd get terrible. It is a place of separation, a place whereby family members will be eternally separated. Another torment of hell, the Bible says that hell is a place of unsatisfied cravings. Verse 24, he cried out, desiring for, just, for him just to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool his tongue. But there was no water. I'm telling you, in hell, all of the cravings that you may have in this world, there will be no drugs there to sedate you. There will be no drugs uh, uh, to meet your need. No alcohol uh, uh, to try uh, uh, to meet the cravings. Uh, the cravings uh, will be unsatisfied. The Bible tells us that hell is a place filled with bad company. Hell will be filled with murderers and drug addicts and rapists and the worst kind of people. It will be filled with the Hitlers and the Mussolinis of the world. It will be filled with child molesters and it will be filled with this kind of people. It will be filled with hypocrites, yes. Hell will be filled with people that are undesirable to be around. Not a good place to go just for that reason alone. Bad company. Verse 23 tells us that hell is an eternal place. The Bible teaches that our existence does not end at death, but it continues on forever, either in heaven or in hell, the place of our choosing. Whether we like it or not, and I remember as a young child wetting my pillow and crying out to God and saying, Lord, I wished I could die like a dog. I don't want to go to heaven and I sure don't want to go to hell. But the awareness of the fact that I was an eternal soul that would never die bear heavy upon me as a young kid. I remember walking in the barnyard and crying to myself. I was unhappy. Sin had me dominated and controlled. What it boiled down to, I wanted to do what I wanted to do and I didn't want the consequences. But hell is eternal. God made us body, soul, and spirit. When the man's physical body died, immediately his soul and spirit was in hell. There's no soul sleep. There's no waiting. After death, your fate, it's sealed. No last minute reprieves, no second chances, no going back and getting things right. If you go to hell, you'll be there for eternity. A few years ago, I literally had a vision of this place. 
it scared me so bad I couldn't talk. I wasn't asleep, I was awake. But the thing that got me the most, I mean, I woke up out of a sleep, wide awake, and I was in hell. I was so scared, I tried to call for help. But the biggest thing that bore upon me through that vision was the fact of total hopelessness. Total hopelessness. No hope. No hope of ever getting out of this place. No hope. There was none. The fear that gripped my heart Revelations chapter 20. The Bible speaks about a great white throne judgment at the end of the world whereby man will be judged. It is there that God will explain as to why people their eternal destiny. Uh, Let's read that real quickly. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the heaven and earth fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, kings and paupers. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. Here we have a reuniting of the third part of you, the third, your body, whereby you will take on a a supernatural body. And they were judged every man according to their works and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The rich man, he became a believer in God's word, but it was too late. I don't want that to be you today. It doesn't have to be. We, many times, we use the phrase, experience is the best teacher. But that saying comes from an old Welch proverb that states, experience is the fool's best teacher. The wise do not need it. Someone asked the question, well, who preacher will go to hell? Many people have the misconception as to why people go to hell. People don't go to hell because they're drug addicts or prostitutes or alcoholics. That's just 
a byproduct of the life that they've chosen, being turned over to sin, being a slave to sin. But people go to hell because they see no need for God's only plan of salvation, Jesus Christ. They push out God out of their lives. That's why there's a judgment. Because God made a way when there was no way. God sought for a way. And he found it in his dear son, Jesus Christ, and sent him into this world who literally laid down his life and became sin for you and I. People go to hell because people choose to go there. That's why they go to hell. People go to hell because they square their shoulders and set their jaw and say, I want to live my own life. Preacher, I don't need God. That's why they go to hell. There is no place throughout this account of God replaying these men's lives where you can find any fault with the rich man. I personally believe he fed Lazarus. I believe Lazarus sat at his gate for a reason. I believe he'd been fed before. From what we have from the, the account of the word of God, we, we could do nothing but conclude that the rich man was a good man as far as the world's standards was. He just failed to see his need of God. And so it is. Stand with me, would you? The Bible tells us that God never made hell for mankind. It is not God's plan nor God's will for man to go to this place. The scripture tells us that hell was made for the devil and for his angels. Matthew 25 verse 41. If you go to hell, you will go there against God's will. If you go to hell, you will go there as an intruder. It was a place that was not made for you. A place where you should not go. But it's a natural result of man choosing his own way and walking away from God. Let us pray. Lord, we come to you just now very much aware again of my inability to be able to communicate this message of the gospel as it needs to be communicated. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would please reach out over this congregation. I ask you, Lord God, to do what I cannot do as a man. And I pray that you would do the supernatural, do the dynamics, get a hold of people by the power of your Holy Spirit. Bring conviction where there is sin.
Speak to lost people. Cause them to see their great need and the seriousness of choosing Christ. I pray in Jesus' name. As we sing a verse, I want to open these altars. I want people to respond. First and most of all, I want lost people to respond to Jesus Christ. To choose. To let Jesus Christ, who died for your sins, to pay your sin debt. I'm telling you, friends, sin must be paid for. Jesus Christ paid for it. You don't have to go to hell. You don't have to go to this horrible place. You don't have to experience what I have talked about this morning. You can escape it this morning by simply coming to Christ, coming to God. And as we sing, would you come? Come, come, come on. God's final call at the highway cafe. He slipped into the highway cafe. One bitter cold night, he sat alone. He asked for a cup of soup, a ragged man who has no home. She's been a waitress for 20 years. She's seen every kind of man in her day. She always shares her love of Jesus Christ with the folks at the Highway Cafe. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling the man at the Highway Cafe. He said, waitress, I have no money. Might as well call the police and turn me in. But first, may I have more soup? I haven't ate since I can't remember when. She smiled and poured another hot soup. Then she said, Mister, I have food for your soul. Please, give your heart to Jesus and allow him full control. Softly and tenderly, Jesus, was calling the man at the highway cafe. He sipped soup in the highway cafe. He said, I don't want to sound mean, but I've rejected Jesus Christ and the rescue mission scene. She watched him leave the highway cafe. Silently, the waitress began to pray. Lord, why has this man hardened his heart? Then she heard a crash on the highway. A soul lost today For Jesus stopped calling The man at the highway cafe He never saw the speeding car, the angel of death took his lost soul. The waitress shed a lonely tear for the man who turned away. God's final call at the highway cafe.
Well, friends, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. Are you saved? I'm not asking you if you're a good person or if you go to church. I'm asking, are you saved? If you died right now, would you go to heaven? If you was at the gates of heaven and St. Peter asked you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? What would the answer be? Do you know the answer? The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, and death is the separation from God, and separation from God is an eternity in hell. That's bad news. But I've got some good news for you. The good news of the Bible is that God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, the Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The scripture says, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. There is no difference between Jews or Greeks, rich or poor, the same Lord over all. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Are you saved? If you're not sure, if you're not living for Jesus, pray this prayer with me right now. Oh God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe His shed blood, death, burial, and resurrection was just for me. I now receive Him as my Savior. Thank you, Lord. Forgive me for my sins. I receive this gift of salvation and everlasting life because of your mercy and your grace. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, call someone. I was lonesome Lost and afraid Traveling down Sin's endless highway I came to the crossroads of life With my burdens of pain and strife From on my knees of Call for me, for now I can clearly see Jesus Christ, precious Lamb of Calvary, whose grace and mercy covered me on that night. The storm of my life Lonely darkness haunting my soul Heart of stone thought I was alone 
stood there right next to me From on my knees a miracle for me For now I can clearly see Jesus Christ, precious Lamb of Calvary And mercy covered me Lamb of Calvary Whose grace and mercy covered me Whose grace out and ask God to save you, then we want to hear from you. Our phone number is 618-383-2107, and we don't care if it was for the first time or the umpteenth time that you cried out to God. Give us a call. Let's talk and find out what's going on and how we can help you out there on that old lonesome road. And if this message is one that you would like to get more copies of to share with others out there, then give us a call. We would like to send you as many copies as we can to reach your family, your friends, and your neighbors. And remember, God loves you, and we do too. Hey, this is Chaplain Gary Rayburn, and we're going to end today's program with my testimony in song. It's called At the Foot of the Tree. And this is Dennis McKay, the McKay Project, to sing it for you. Life lost without hope, 
Eighteen wheels of lonesome at the end of the road. In my hand was a track the preacher had read. His words still echoing in the back of my head. I felt so ashamed when I thought of my past. Then I called his name. This chance would it be my last? Then I saw Jesus hanging on that tree. I lifted up my heart from down on my knees. Today I met Jesus at the foot of the cross, broken-hearted and lonesome. So long I've been lost I left a lifetime of misery At the foot of the tree Those 18 wheels are rolling Down that old lonesome road I shared the good news wherever I go. Yes, there's been a change. I'm not the man I used to be. And I tell everybody what's happened to me. How I felt so ashamed when I thought of my past. But I called his name. This chance, could it be my last? Then I saw Jesus hanging on that tree And I lifted up my heart from down on my knees Today I met Jesus at the foot of the cross Broken hearted and lonesome so long I've been lost I left a lifetime of misery At the foot of the tree Then I saw Jesus Hanging on that tree I lifted up my heart From down on my knees Today I met Jesus At the foot of the cross Broken-hearted and lonesome So long I'd been lost I left a lifetime of misery At the foot of the tree